Lord, your, your infinite love, Lord, is so good. Thank you, Lord, that your righteousness is like, like the mountain, and you make us right. You come to us, and Lord, you call us your own. Thank you, God. Lord, as we come to your word, Lord, we pray that you would minister, that you would speak to our hearts, to our souls, to our minds. God, that you would give us the confidence that we are indeed yours. And Lord, you would help us to see who you are so clearly, Lord, that that we would trust you completely. Father, let your gospel come. Let your good news come now, not only in word, but in power with the Holy Spirit, God, with full assurance. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We are uh, in our summer playlist sermon series. We are uh, looking at different random psalms uh, from the book of Psalms, and each of these is a song to the Lord. Each of them teaches us uh, a different lesson about who God is and what he does. And so today, if you would turn to Psalm 33, Psalm 33. This is uh, a really straightforward psalm, but a really, in, in a lot of ways, a very simple psalm, but the simplest things can be the most profound. And this is a psalm that teaches us who God is and what God does. Who God is and what he does. So let's read this together. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. A war horse is a false hope for salvation and by its might it cannot Save. Behold, 
the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. Praise the Lord for his word. This psalm, as I said, it's very simple. It's very straightforward. The first three verses, uh, you cannot read these verses and not think about a song. Look, Look at the words. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks, that means praise, to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with a harp of ten strings, not just six. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. These first three verses uh, are, are meant by the psalmist to flood us with a sense of celebration because our God is so good. That, that first word, shout to the Lord, it means yell. It means make some noise, people. It means, it means celebrate to the Lord. I mean, this psalm, it begins with this place of the volumes at 10. Let's go. Why? Why do we celebrate? Well, the psalmist tells us, right? Because the Lord speaks and because the Lord sees. You might be thinking, well, I I don't know if that gets me really excited or not. No, just hang on. The psalmist says, let's sing, let's shout, let's yell, let's celebrate, because our God has done something. He has spoken to his people. We don't swing in the dark anymore about trying to figure out who God is. God has revealed himself through his word. That is what verses 4 through 12 are all about, that God speaks. And when God speaks, something happens, and we'll get there. The the next thing that God does is verses 13 through 19, God sees, he looks and he sees you. He sees you. He knows you. And he does something. That's why we sing. That's why we shout, because our God is an active kind of God, not just a God on a shelf. Our God, he speaks and he sees. Well, well, let's look at this God who speaks. Look at verse 4. For the word of the Lord is upright. That means, that means perfect. It's righteous. It's, it's altogether good, right? The word of the Lord is upright, but then look at this. And all his work is done in faithfulness. All of his work is done in faithfulness. So the psalmist here, he's letting us in on something about God's word, and that is God's word works. You didn't understand me. When God speaks, stuff happens. That's what that means. And the stuff that happens when God speaks is creative and awesome and beautiful and good and true and wise. When God speaks, things happen. Look at verse 5. He loves 
righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. The earth is full of the steadfast love. That means hesed. It's the word hesed. It means deep covenantal grace, faithfulness to his people. That God, when he speaks, his word works in such a way that the earth, everything that he makes, is filled with the fingerprint of who he is. Let me, let me help to connect some dots here. Uh, I'm gonna, totally mixed metaphor. Connecting dots, links in a chain, okay? Here it is. Here are the dots that are links in the chain. What is God's character according to this psalm? Steadfast love. You want to know who God is, what God is like, what his character is? Steadfast love. Hesed, covenantal love, never gives up, always full of grace. Same God, Old Testament, New Testament. That's who God is. That's the first link in the chain. That's who God is. Second link in the chain, God's, God speaks his word. God's word issues from his heart, his character. His character is full of steadfast love and faithfulness. His word then is filled with steadfast love and faithfulness. That's the second link. Third link, his word works, does something, and that something is born out of steadfast love and faithfulness. So, fourth link, everything that is made is filled with hesed. Isn't that amazing? I mean, why? Why would this be important? When you look at the earth, is your first thought this verse? Verse 5? When you look at the earth, when you look around, is your first thought, wow, this world is filled with the steadfast love of the Lord. Just see, fasted, just breaking out all over the place. I don't know about you, but I look around this world sometimes and I go, train wreck, what a mess, right? And yet, and yet, God, when he speaks, his word works and is filled with steadfast love, which reflects his glory, and so the psalmist here, verse 6 uh, and following, he talks about creation. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. By the breath of his mouth, all of their hosts. He gathers the waters, let the earth fear, and all of his stuff. Creation is the canvas that can point us back to the creator. Look, look at this flower, this picture. Would you put that up there? This, look at that. That is a dahlia and it's two centimeters wide. We wouldn't see it like that. We would just see this little red ball as we walk past it, right? But look at that. Intricate, beautiful, awesome. I can't do that. Can you do that? Let's look at the next one. Now, we would see this and we go, oh, what a beautiful purple flower. I have no idea. Anybody know what that is? I don't know. I know it's purple. That's my gardening skill right there. It's a purple flower. 
But look not at the petals, but look at the pistils and then the very center, that center. Do you see the intricacy of the design? The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. I can't do that. But God does. Look at this next thing. Who can tell me what you are looking at? What is that? What is it? What is it? Does somebody say it? Jupiter, not Jupiter. A shell, not a shell. What? Okay. Rock is really, really, really close. That is the inside of a geode. Anybody know what a geode is? It's a rock. But it's a rock that is filled with stuff that looks like that. Now, now just, okay, when I think about rocks, I think like dirt, mud, gravel. Okay. And then I accompanied my son on an outdoor environmental education trip back in fourth grade. And they had the little eye gear and little hammer pick thing. And we went to this place in Wisconsin, and they're like, starting to bang, find a rock, start banging on it. I'm like, what in the world are we doing? And wouldn't you know, pink opens up, and it's purple. Pink open up, it's yellow. Pink open up, it's opaque. What? The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. God speaks and he makes and it's done with beauty and grace and faithfulness and love. That's all over the place. Crack open the crust of the earth and that's what it looks like. Amber geode and other colors. So, not, but I mean, that, that just blows my mind that the earth is filled like that with the steadfast love of the Lord. But, but it's even greater than that. God fills the earth with his steadfast love, leaving his fingerprint on all that he makes. In Romans 2, 14 and 15, the Apostle Paul states, states that God's law, his word, his word that does stuff, that God's law is written on the heart of every human being. And of this, Pastor Tim Keller says that all people has, have an innate sense of the rightness of honesty Justice, love, and the golden rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. This is called common grace. And it comes from this verse. The earth is full 
of the steadfast love of the world. It, 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 it's, it's common grace. It doesn't mean that, that everybody is saved or everybody identifies themselves as a Christian. But what, what it does mean is that God is actively involved. God speaks. He has spoken. And he's actively involved in each person's life. The, if the earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord, then that means human beings have the steadfast love of the Lord, this imprint. And it also means that cultures have the imprint of the steadfast love of the Lord, albeit imperfectly, fallen. But if culture is full of the steadfast love of the Lord, even imperfectly, then as followers of Jesus, we need to run toward culture, not from it. We've got to run toward it. Why? To that which is good and true and beautiful. Because we know the one who spoke those things into existence. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. And we know the maker. We know the Lord. Tim Keller, again, he writes this, and uh, I'm going to have it on the screen. It's a little bit lengthy, but I, I just think it, it's so appropriate to, understand, to wrapping our minds around this verse. Because so often, we can want to run away from culture. And yet, as the children of God, as the light of the world, we've got to run toward culture. He says this, every human culture is an extremely complex mixture of brilliant truth, ha marred half-truths, and overt resistance to the truth. Every culture will have some idolatrous discourse within it. And yet, every culture will have some witness to God's truth in it. God gives out good gifts of wisdom, talent, beauty, and skill completely without regard for merit. He casts them across culture like seed in order to enrich, brighten, and preserve the world. Do, do you know to preserve the world? Do you know that, if, that things are not as bad as they could be because of common grace? Do you know that, that, that God's hands are all over the world, and if he took them off, oh, Lord, please don't do that. He goes on, without this understanding of culture, Christians will tend to think that they can live self-sufficiently, isolated from, and unblessed by the contributions of those in the world. Without an appreciation for God's gracious display of his wisdom in the broader culture, Christians may struggle to understand why non-Christians often exceed Christians in moral practice, wisdom, and skill. This suggests that our stance toward every human culture should be one of critical enjoyment and appropriate wariness. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Um, don't miss next week. Next week, we have the Reverend Dr. Steve Woodworth who's going to be with us. And Steve is, uh, he's just 
an excited guy. He loves the Lord Jesus. And half of the year, he is in all kinds of places throughout the world training indigenous Christians to set up their own uh, seminaries and Bible training schools. And he, um, he's going to be here next week. He's going to be uh, preaching for us, and it's just going to be awesome. Uh, following this service, there's going to be an ice cream social uh, in Murray Commons, and we'll get to hear more about what's going on, but it's just going to be awesome. And a couple weeks ago, he uh, recommended to me a book that I'm reading. It's called A Wind in the House of Islam. A Wind in the House of Islam. And the premise of the book is that over the last 17 years, um, the Lord Jesus is winning in exponential numbers Muslims um, to faith in Christ, to faith in himself, through all kinds of different means, including just showing up in dreams and visions. Okay, so here's the, so here's the thing. So I'm reading about a guy named Ahmed. And Ahmed uh, was a man, uh, is a man, he's still living, uh, he's in uh, Bangladesh, and he uh, is a man who, he was uh, a Muslim from birth, and was trying to do the right thing, and he could read Arabic, and he would read the Quran for hours every day, but here's the deal, he had no idea what he was reading, okay? He could read Arabic, but he couldn't understand it. And so, um, he got a Quran in his native language, and he started reading his native language. And he was challenged by somebody to say, hey, why don't you read and really find out about the prophet Muhammad? Well, so he's reading the Quran, and do you know that the prophet Muhammad is mentioned twice in the Quran? But there's this other guy named Isa al-Masiyah, Jesus the Messiah, who's mentioned 19 times in the Quran. And of those times, guess what? Isa, al-Masiyah, is resurrected from the dead, living with Allah. He is coming again to judge the world, not Muhammad. Oh, by the way, Muhammad's dead. Jesus is living. That's the witness of the Quran. Uh, he's coming again to judge the earth, not Muhammad, Jesus, Isa, Jesus. Uh, he is... Uh, going to judge the world. He's returning bodily, Isa, not Muhammad. And by reading his own holy book, Ahmed came to the conclusion that this Isa al-Masiyah is a pretty important guy and in fact is the savior through whose blood his sins can be forgiven and is a Christian. But not only that, this guy, Ahmed, he was so convicted, and now he, he, and he's talked to other Christians now, he does not identify as a Christian. He identifies culturally as a Muslim who follows Isa al-Masih. So he looks very different than us, he practices very different than us, and all that stuff. But he is a born-again believer, follower of Jesus, and he is leading now other imams to look at their own book to see who this Isa is, and this movement is exploding all over Bangladesh as imams come to faith in Jesus Christ as revealed through his own, their own book. Because why? Because the imprint of truth, the imprint of hesed, is right there, right before their eyes. Isn't that awesome? It's unbelievable. 
And so we, so the point is, God speaks, and when he speaks, he acts. And when he acts, it's all bundled up with this, this hesed that we see. And so when we see truth and goodness and beauty and culture, friends, run there. Because it's an entry point to share about the God of beauty and wisdom and truth. Okay, so God, so God, God speaks. He also sees. Look at verse 13, very quickly. Verse 13, the Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. Where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the world. He fashions the hearts of all of them and observes all their deeds. Uh, do you see all those words? Looks, sees, looks out, observes. And then look down at 16. Behold, or 18, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our, our God, who is shaped by Hesed, he speaks, praise God, so that we can know him. And when he speaks, he creates. And, and he does all of those things. And it's all around he also sees. He sees you. He sees your heart. He knows you. And the thing about it, the, the amazing thing, is that he is already looking toward you. question is, are you looking to him? The, the psalmist here, he says, back in 16, the, the king, the king is looking to his army, but he can't be saved by that. And the warrior's looking at his strength. Oh, look at that. Mm, yeah, right? No. Nope. Yeah, this puny guy. <laughs> Come on, Travis. Show us those pipes, right? No, no, no not going to deliver you. The war horse. Nope, it's not going to do it. See, see, we, we look to all kinds of things that grab our attention, don't we? Last week I had that fidget spinner and somebody gave me two more today and I'm like, I don't want fidget spinners in my house. <laughs> but, but thanks, but thanks anyway. Um, but you know what? We, we look at those, we look at the glowing rectangles, we look at like all, right? all of these things try to capture our gaze, all of these things that we think are so important, right? Um, uh, you name it. You know what you look at. You know what captures your gaze. And yet, the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him. And what does that mean? On those who hope in his steadfast love. There it is again. His hesed. Those who hope in his hesed. Those who know his character. Those who look to him and yield and say, God, I can't be delivered by anything else. What do they find? find that their God is already looking at them with a gaze of complete unmerited love. Not because of what you've done, but because you're his.
To fear him is to have the guts to look up and see what he's got for you. And when we look up, we see Jesus. Jesus who hung on a cross to pay your sin, to pay your misgivings, to make up for your guilt, to make up for your shame, to bleed, to cleanse us so that we could see that we are, through Jesus, through his life and his death and his resurrection, that we are now sons and daughters of God, the God who made all this, that we're his. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death. Friends, he delivers our souls. We can't look to anything or anyone else to deliver. Where are you looking? The end of this psalm, these last three verses, the psalmist brings us right to a place of prayer. After, after opening with intense celebration, because our God is a God who speaks, and when he speaks, stuff happens, and because he's a God who sees us, and when he sees us, he delivers us. These last three verses, he says, our soul waits for the Lord. Wait for that God who looks to you in love. Wait for that God who has delivered your soul from death. Wait on him. That means, that means nestle in. That means rest in his presence. For he is our help and our shield. He's your protector. For our heart is glad in him. He makes your heart glad. He gives you joy. Because we trust. We have confidence in his holy name. And then this, the last verse is a prayer. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. So, Father, that's where we come. That's where we end. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Lord God, we praise you. We do. Because you are the God who speaks. You are the God who works. You are the God who sees us. And you are the God who acts to bring us joy. Father, I pray that right now you would, you would tend our hearts. Father, I pray that these truths, Lord, would, would burrow down deep in us and that we would wait on you. Father, you are so good, and yet we confess that so often we, we're not looking to you. We're, we don't care to look to you. We got our things going on. Life is good. Why do I need to look at the Lord? Father, would you minister your presence right now to our hearts?
And would you open us to the reality that even though our lives may be going good, there is nothing that can deliver our souls, that, that, that core of who we are from death. Nothing. Our wives can't, our children can't, our husbands can't, our jobs can't, our skills can't, our strength can't, nothing. It's only you. And Lord, you're so good. That's the point. You're so good. You're filled with steadfast love. Deep, covenantal faithfulness. Lord, we cannot mess up our relationship with you even though we try so hard to. You've got us. You are good. You are faithful. Father, may we, may we just, may we seek you because one moment, Lord, in your presence just totally makes us alive. So, Father, come now, Lord, as we worship you, as we kind of stay in this place, as we sing here for a few minutes, Lord, would you minister to us? Would we think about what we sing and raise our voices, raise our hearts to you, God? Lord, we praise you in Jesus' name.